It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. Let's pray, guys. Father, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would lead today for the glory of Jesus Christ, that we would see him more clearly, that the annunciation would be sharp, and Lord, that uh, we would do this in your strength and not our own. Lord, we just declare that without you, we, are, we can do nothing. We are unable to uh, bear the fruit of the kingdom of heaven, and so we just yield to you afresh today. We cling to that vine and just ask for the living sap inside. Lord, we love you and we submit to you. Amen. All right. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> yesterday's Daily Thunder was uh, an unusual one. Uh, we brought in Leslie for it, and we had sort of a reminiscence of 25 years. And yesterday afternoon, uh, a lot of you in here <clears throat> were a part of our Purity Summit, which was a very, I don't know, a very special thing. It's uh, sort of hard to describe what that was and how it worked, but it was, it was just sort of fighting uh, once again as uh, the Church of Jesus Christ to get a strong grip on uh, the importance and the reality of uh, sexual purity, what, why God has established this, and how we can really uh, fight as a, as a church today to regain our footing in this. So, whether I don't know exactly how this is going to unfold, but you know the the Purity Summit's going to be releasing for other people. You guys had the live version, uh, but that's going to be edited down and, and ready for uh, simulcasting. And <clears throat> so I'm gonna. I just wanted to hit on a few other uh, key points, maybe even throughout this week. I don't know yet. I'll, I'll sort of feel that uh, out as I go. But this one is continuing the theme, and it's, uh, I think less than I felt yesterday, it's like there's so much that isn't being said, and that we could probably spend, like, weeks on end just going more into granular detail, because you, we, we deal with, you could deal with big vision, you could deal with inspiration, you could deal with key major points, but you almost sometimes need to get down into the granular and say, okay, but how do you do that here? What does that look like here? And so, uh, I'm going to not go granular today, but at least have another sub-point underneath it. It's a, it's a fun message. I think you guys will enjoy it. It's the all-important attitude is what I've called it. And uh, the word attitude uh, in some translations of uh, the book of Philippians uh, depends on how you take the word phreneo uh, in the Greek, but some translations say mind. Uh, some would say attitude, uh, but it's like a lens where you stick on a pair of glasses and they have a color into it, and now everything that you see has that color associated with it, and that would be a freneo. And so there's a freneo of Christ. There's an attitude or a mind of Christ that we are supposed to have. You see, when we live in Adam, in our initial state, we don't have those glasses on, and so we look at life through Adam's lens, and we see things from a self-vantage point. But when we stick on Christ's glasses, we actually are able to see things very differently, and that changes our life. And in fact, uh, if you were to study the book of Philippians, and we were to say, okay, what's the book of Philippians about? It's interesting because you could actually come down to the fact that I think it's about the glasses. 
I think that's exactly what it is, put on the glasses. That's like the summation of almost the entire book of Philippians because remember, it's like he's always saying rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. He's in prison when he's saying that, guys. Everything he's looking at is, you know, that term rose-colored glasses. Uh, He's looking at something through these glasses and he's seeing circumstances that we would all go, oh, that's just terrible. And he's rejoicing. We're like, Paul, what are you seeing? How are you seeing that? He's like, you guys need to put on the glasses too. You need to see life through a heavenly vantage point. Get into Christ. Look at life through a victory, through the lens of the shed blood of Jesus, and you actually have every cause to rejoice. And so the all-important attitude, when you get these glasses on, it changes you. So one of the things, you know, since we're dealing with the issues of sexuality uh, throughout this, this week, um, the... When we start with just saying, you know, the decisions I make now, and this is part of the attitude, affect my life later, but not just my life. They affect my spouse later. It's it's an odd thought that most of us really have never had that I can actually make decisions now that affect my marriage in the future. And a lot of us don't create the link between them. We live a detached life where it's like, hey, I can do whatever I want now and, you know, hey, that, the future will have no connection to it. When in actuality, it is directly connected to it. And that my decisions now actually affect my kids. Now, when you actually meet your spouse and you fall in love with your spouse, those things then have a greater weight to them because then you're thinking, wow, I wish I had done this differently. And so that's why it's important now, in the here and now, to begin to think and anticipate the future. Right now, we do have a spouse, and that's Jesus Christ. And the way we are living now is affecting our relationship with him, and it's affecting our eternity, if you want to say it that way. And what we don't want to do is arrive at that ending point with regret, but with a a clear idea that when we knew what we ought to do, we said, yes, Lord Jesus, this is your life. I want to live it fully. So living with a future in mind. In other words, just having an attitude that the way I I live right now actually affects the future. So Philippians 2, I'm going to take a section out of it, and I'm just going going to do something in it. I'm going to read it first the way it is, and then I'm going to do something to bring something out in it. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So there's the phroneo. Put these glasses on. The same glasses Jesus had, put those on. Now, I'm going to do something in this, and I'm going to take out the word others, and I'm going to stick in future spouse. You're going to recognize that it's a shift of perspective, which ironically is what those glasses are. It's, it's like a paradigm. You ever heard of a paradigm shift? A paradigm shift is an entirely different framework of looking at something. So you've been looking at something from down here on the ground looking up. Well, what if you got up into the rafters and looked? That would be a paradigm shift. And so in a sense, it's like, hey, you need to get this mind that is in Christ Jesus. You're looking out you know, from things down here. You need to get up here and look at it from the, his heavenly position. And so, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem your future spouse better than himself. That's just a weird thing that that does in the, in the flow. It's like, huh. You see, if you were to actually consider your future spouse as royalty, and that you had the privilege right now, it's like, yeah, there's someone very, very significant out there, 
and that you could actually invest and bless them now and treat them as more important than yourself. In other words, what do you want? Uh, that's what you say, well, I crave this. I, well, it doesn't matter what you crave. Just think about them. They're even of greater importance. So are you willing to give up your pleasures now to serve them? Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of, you should say, his future spouse, if we're going to get the pronouns uh, correct in this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So don't just look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of your future spouse, your future family, your future children. You know that cute little uh, boy that you're going to have one day, and he has your nose, and uh, you know, if you look at him you know, with a squint, you're like, oh, that looks like my granddad, you know, whatever. That, that miracle of, of having children, that this will actually have a great weight in your life and that you could live in such a way that would honor them even now. Of course, this is the essence of the paradigm shift. In other words, Jesus is choosing to do this. When he came to this earth, he actually was living, get this, brace yourselves, with you in mind. And the way that he's living in his life in purity, in holiness, in righteousness, is knowing that you need something. And so he is willing to sacrifice and give up earthly pleasures so that he can give you eternal life. I mean, that's the gospel in a nutshell. And it's an attitude. It's a freneo. It is a set of glasses that have a very specific coloring to it of selflessness. And Philippians is basically saying, hey, I don't know what glasses you're wearing. Repent of those and put them off and put on these glasses. These are the glasses that actually help you see things correctly. Do you recognize that the world does not center around you? Monroe, Louisiana. If you read my blog series that I, I gave or I released, a, I don't know, it was about a month ago now on the Josh Harris uh, situation, I had uh, one of my blog uh, articles or blog entries was called uh, The Apology Tour. And uh, I, in it, I share a story, which is a very defining story in my life. And Monroe, Louisiana, it's all you have to say, and I know exactly what the story is. It's, it's deeply baked in for me. I was on a missionary team, and we were on a bus. And we were driving around to different churches stateside, and then we were going to go over to Bulgaria uh, on a missions trip for, I don't know what that was, a couple months. And so we're going from church to church, and this was like some kind of rally, youth rally, that we were headed to in Monroe, Louisiana. And as we were driving down the road in the bus, uh, there was a subgroup of the missionary team that was sort of gathered off to the side of the bus and they were having a conversation about relationships with the opposite sex. And I don't remember the nature of their conversation and I wasn't really in the conversation but I was close enough to it where they were sort of going, hey, what about you? What about you? What about? And then they got to me. What about you? Hey, Ludi, what about you? What do you think about this? And I, I had convictions at that time. God was working a lot of what you've even heard me say already in me but I didn't talk about it because I knew what it would sound like. And that's the last thing I need is for people to criticize what God is doing inside of me. Because even though these are Christians, I mean, these are missionaries, these are serious Christians, I knew that what was going on inside of me was very foreign to the Christian culture at the time. And so there was this one lady that was sort of like the ringleader of this little group. And she was also one of the uh, staff members on the missions uh, team for our school. And... 
So I, I made a comment, and it was something like this. Well, uh, I, I, I love my wife, even though I haven't met her yet. And it was something simple like that. You know, not profound, just, just simple. And this lady did not like that. She, she was upset about it. And she goes, that is impossible. You can't love someone that you've never met. Said, well, I do. So <laughs> how are you supposed to? And so that was about the essence of it, okay? That's about uh, how extensive our conversation was, even though I was a little perturbed by her attitude. You know, I tried to cover it up. And so we get, our team gets to Monroe, Louisiana. And the, the leadership of the rally comes up to the leader of our team and says, I'm so sorry, I know this is last minute, but do you have someone in your team that can speak on the topic of purity for maybe around 10 minutes? And he's like, I don't know. And then the one person that overheard the conversation on the bus goes, Eric Ludi has a lot to say on that subject. <laughs> <laughs> so the next thing you know, my leader's coming up to me going, yeah, you're, you're going to share something for 10 minutes on, on purity. I heard you know some things about that. That was, this is the beginnings of my purity speaking career, okay? It was right there. And what's interesting is the moment it was even brought up before me, I knew what I was supposed to say, and I didn't want to. And so I was dragging my feet spiritually in every regard. And so suddenly I'm just assigned this job in front of this uh, large, it was very large at the time. It was probably five to 800 uh, young people. And at the time that was just like terrifying. Uh, that I was going to have this message in front of them because I knew what God wanted me to say. I didn't want to say it because I knew that they wouldn't receive it. Isn't that a weird thought that I knew that they wouldn't receive it and yet I knew God wanted me to give it. Oh boy, this was a hard moment in my life. And yet, if I could say, in essence, it is a crux point of definition for my life and the trajectory of my life. And so I was wrestling with God. I was like, God, please give me something else to say. Please, please. And right at the very end, right before they called my name and mispronounced my name, uh, I, I said, God, I'll do it for you. I need you to go with me. I need you to do this uh, for me. And so I got up onto stage, and what I shared was very normal for me. You know, for, if you, you hear what I'm going to say, you know, I'll, I'll give you a quick summary of it. It's nothing, nothing that abnormal, but it went over very poorly. Let's just put it that way. Not one person made any noise the whole time I was talking except for that random cough like <coughs> uh, in the crowd. I got done. No one applauded. I just sat down. And everyone was stone silent the whole time. And so all I said was, guys, we've grown up in a generation where everyone's talking about external purity. But God's interested in what's going on inside. And he wants to be allowed in to deal with What's on the inside? First, we need to clean the inside of the cup and dish so that the outside would be clean also. And I think we need to allow the Spirit of God to actually inspect us and to change our attitude and our thinking towards this area of our life. And if there's things that we are doing inside that are, in, that are incorrect, that are not in agreement with God, I think we need to repent of that. Okay, so this is like the beginnings of Eric's speaking career on purity is internal purity. And uh, I talked about spiritual virginity instead of just physical virginity. And I said, God's interested in something inside. I had the guy that followed up, who was, uh, it walks out onto stage after I get done, bounces on his toes, and goes, Whoa, well, I'm not here to preach holiness. So that, that was my beginning. And my team 
my team confronts me afterwards and asks me to uh, seek forgiveness uh, over this and to say that I was sorry. They wanted me to apologize to the team for doing this. And I mean, this is a defining moment in my life, which is why I called it the apology tour. This was my own apology tour. Uh, I, I, I couldn't do it. I said, I, did, I said what I said out of love. I said what I said because it's true. I, I can't apologize for that. That would go against my conscience uh, for that. So that was, that was the beginnings of my grand adventures with that missionary team. But defining for me. And the reason I'm bringing that up <clears throat> is just to show there is a behavior that as we set things in place now, it actually causes a ripple effect. It affects where we go in our life. The decisions we make now actually affect where we go. And so when we make decisions now, I mean, I am defined by that moment back in Monroe, Louisiana. It's like, no, I'm going to stand by that. No, I'm willing to speak this, even if it's unpopular. And that affects me, just like every other little small decision we make in these areas. So I'm calling it setting a mold. If you recognize that the decisions we're making now are creating a mold for the way we will be in the future. Well, that could be a very negative thing, too. As my mom used to say, Eric, the way you treat me is the way you're going to treat your wife. Well, that wasn't pretty. Let's just put it that way. And the good thing about God, it's a good thing, it's a great thing about God, is the fact that he's a redemptive God. So even if we have a bad mold, if we, can, we can give it to him and he can recraft it at any point in life. So it's not that we're just stuck with it. It's just it's harder as it begins to firm up. And so there, there becomes a season of life where we are malleable and then we become firm. And so it's very, very important that we allow the Spirit of God to work on us when we are soft. So I'm going to go through just a few fun thoughts. Uh, living for one, <clears throat> this is part of the mold that I would say you definitely want to set uh, in your life. And this is a mold that any of us that are married know the significance of. You live for one. Now, you could say for one, capital O, Jesus, and that's very true. And you know, one of the ways you practice living for Jesus is by living for one in in marriage, too. Everything about marriage is singular. It's not multiples. In other words, when I'm living for one, I'm not living for 40. I'm living for one. And so there is one girl that I'm going to marry. There is one girl that I'm setting myself aside for. And so I began to live with one in mind. It's it's had a huge impact on my life. And I think I shared the story yesterday morning when uh, talking about the the McDonald's time with the, what I call the two eyeballs. Leslie doesn't like the term the two eyeball principle because she's like, eyeballs, they sound like they're floating out there. I go, well, they sort of are. They're just sort of floating around. And she goes, that is so unromantic. How about the two eyes? Uh, but, but I always call it the two eyeball uh, principle. Which is, and of course, they're her eyes, right? That's, that's why she's a little sensitive to it, because it's the eyes of my future spouse that are watching me. And I'm saying, okay, does she feel honored with the way that I'm living? If she sees me interacting with the opposite sex, is she going, you know what? That's a, that's a man. That's a true a man of honor. What if she sees me slithering my snake-like arm around a girl's shoulder that is not her, moving in, puckering my lips? How is she going to feel about that? Is she going to be going, go, Eric, but he is going to be a great kisser? Yeah, see, all the girls in here sort of have an instinctive understanding that that's probably not what she's going to think. Because there is a certain sanctity to this relationship with one, 
that is being violated because I'm so cavalier. And what's interesting is oftentimes we'll think, well, I already know that this, this girl here, the one that's physical in presence, is the one I'm going to marry, so it doesn't matter. There's no one else watching. And yet that's actually a very dangerous attitude to have, to live in such a way with such deference to say, I want to honor the sanctity of this process and to truly be slower than quick, and I want to do this right. That is so important. To not, you haven't entered into covenant with someone, so make sure that you hold with a certain deafness, a certain uh, rightness. So living for one, the two-eyeball principle, even though Leslie doesn't like the, the term eyeball, uh, I gave it to you anyways, because it's always been that. That's just what it's always been called. Preparing for one. This is a fun one. Uh, so I, I gave a list. I gave a message called Made Excellent for Marriage back in 2011. I don't know if, how many of you guys have ever heard that. Any, any of you ever heard Made Excellent for Marriage? Uh, yeah, two, three. It's a good message, guys. It's probably the most downloaded message I've ever given uh, online. Isn't that funny? Just the name uh, triggered that probably. But it's a, it's a funny message. And it goes through and gives a whole bunch of practicals of, of what you can do uh, to be ready for marriage. And one of my favorite ones is uh, sleep training. Uh, it's like, okay, so you're wanting to share a bed with someone in the future? Well, uh, if you truly, are, you truly love this person and you care about this person, then you want to be someone who is <clears throat> able to share a bed. It doesn't bump them out of bed in the night, grab all the covers, roll over in the, you know, the, the mummy position. <laughs> Uh, turn upside down and have your feet dangling in their face uh, in the morning. I mean, there's some, there's some bad sleeping habits. And so this is just as a practical thought for you to recognize that it's the little things we do. Like for a man, it's how he handles the toilet seat. It's how he cleans up his area, how he keeps his sock drawer. I mean, every single thing actually is a statement of love or of selfishness. Because if you're going to share your life with someone, they're sharing in all your weird habits too. And so as a result thinking about them. So the reason I bring this up is just because it's so granularly practical that it's uncomfortable. <laughs> I remember uh, I was, I had a tendency to snore. Okay, I'm going to say had a tendency to snore. I want to make it sound like past tense. It's still a tendency. And, uh, and I also would move around quite a bit when I was sleeping. I was thinking about this like that poor girl. And so I began to move into one position. It was on my side because I wouldn't snore when I was on my side. And I would practice being still all night long. I, I did this, okay? And actually, I still sleep the same way today. And I do not roll around. I hardly move at night. I'll usually turn once or twice in the night to the other side. And then I'll, I'll go back to like this. <laughs> and I try and be still. And I practice being still. I remember, uh, do you guys remember Ben uh, Zorns when he heard this? I, I gave this message live back in 2011. Ben Zorn, <laughs> it's a great story. He, he had just that last night before he came into that service, because it was a Sunday morning that I gave Made Excellent for Marriage. And he found himself like upside down, you know, his sheets or blankets on the floor. And he's like, what's wrong? And then he comes in and he's so convicted. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, help me. <laughs> He's, he's turned into a fabulous man. I, I can't comment on how well he sleeps at night, but uh, I'm sure he does great. Uh, a <clears throat> great man. And then practicing for one, living with royalty. If you were to just imagine that your family that you have around you right now is royalty, like 
you were to look at your brother and say, that is the next George Washington. That is the next uh, William Wallace. That is the next Hudson Taylor. You were to treat them as like, whoa, I get to grow up with them? I mean, just imagine, what a privilege looking around your family and just treating them as more important than yourself. And when you live that way, when you think that way, you're actually setting a mold, setting a pattern for excellence in marriage because it's critical in marriage that you consider others more important than yourself, which ironically is your spouse, is your children. See, authority, like I'm the father in a home. I don't treat my son as if he has more authority than me in the home. That would be dangerous, right? But I need to treat my son as if he has more value and that I would be glad to lay down my life to preserve his. It's an attitude of what position you take. So who's ultimately the servant in this situation? Well, daddy. And that's very, very important to set a mold for. And so as my mom said, the way you treat me is the way you're going to treat your wife. So as a result, I needed to practice on my mom and sisters. This is very real for me. Everything I'm sharing with you is what I went through in my single years. I was going through this exact thought process that I'm bringing before you. I didn't tell everyone I was going through it because you see the responses I got when I ever spoke about almost every single time I spoke on what I was doing in my own life to prepare for my marriage. I got mocked and I got criticized. I got people mad at me because I would say, it's like, really? What? I don't get mad at you for your dumb ideas that you're doing. You're living for self and I don't get mad at you. I'm just trying to do this right. I mean, it was weird. This, this area just sort of drives things to the surface. And so when you do this, my, I, I wanted to practice on my mom and sister. And by the way, that sounds really nice when it's someone else's mom and sister. Like if I was practicing on your mom and sister, it sounds so much easier than mine. Because my mom got under my skin very quickly. And I mean, she just has that one thing. I know, I can even anticipate it, Eric. Not until you clean your room. And I would finish the sentence, clean my room. I know. I need to clean my room before I go and ever do anything fun. Okay? I always have to clean my room. My room is fine. I'm the one that live in there. You don't, need, you don't live in there. I'm the one that has to put up with all that stuff. And so, you know, I had, this is like how I grew up with finishing my mom's sentences, anticipating the irritation. And now suddenly God goes, not a good pattern, Eric. You want to bring that into marriage? Well, no, but I, I mean, I'll, my, my wife and I will have a completely different relationship than that. Eric, this is the mold. Do you want this? What you're practicing doing now is what you're going to carry into your next phase. So the way you treat the number one woman in your life growing up is the way you're going to prepare to treat the next number one woman in your life. Well, that's not good. That's right. It wasn't good. And so God took me on a season of renovating the behavior of Eric Ludi towards my mom and my sister. And, you know, that my relationship with my brother, even though that seems strange, what does that have to do with anything in regards to marriage? I tell you what, my, having a younger brother and learning to humble myself, learning to be a servant, learning to be kind, had a huge impact. Because there's something about family. Get this. Familiar. Family and familiar. You see a similarity between those words? Yeah. There's nothing more familiar in your life than family. And those that are familiar with you, you oftentimes, they get to see beyond the, the varnish. They, the veneer, the outer coating, and they see what you really are. And so as a result, 
they get the real you. Family is just, they, they see beyond. Whatever they're seeing beyond, that right there is what you need to be allowing the Spirit of God to work on. Right there. You see, when we gather together in here, you're on your best behavior. When you go home, you have a tendency to relax and to just sort of allow who you are to come out. Well, that's that. I want to circle that. Who you are that's coming out right there. That is precisely where God needs to work. Not on your social behaviors when you're sitting in daily thunder. But when you're not sitting in daily thunder, when no one's around except for your family and they're irritating you. Right there. That is what is going to define a great marriage or not. And when we allow the Spirit of God to touch that. I remember this one guy saying, Eric, you're only as holy as you are in your home. I didn't like that statement. And I was like, where is that in the Bible? Uh, I didn't like the, the statement. Why did I not like that statement? Because when I would come home, I would change. I was in college praying for revival every day. I was. I'd gather all the, the Christians into my room. We'd pray for revival. And I was dead serious about Jesus. I was inviting people to Bible studies. And then I'd come home, and I was a very different person. Hey, that's my shirt. You took my shirt out of my closet. Put that back. I was watching that. Just because I go to the bathroom doesn't mean you can take the remote and change the channel. Change it back. I was watching the game. What's for dinner? Meatloaf. Oh, I, oh not again. Okay? Not good patterns. See, that needs to be touched by the Holy Spirit. And if you're living with royalty, it's interesting because if you were visiting my house for, say, a day, and someone, one of my kids, came into your closet and took one of your shirts, it's interesting, but you'd respond very different than Eric just responded in that situation. Because I'd be like, uh, I shouldn't give any names of any of my kids. Hey, little one, that's not your shirt. And then you would say, oh, it's all right, it's all right. You see, you'd have a tremendous amount of grace one of my kids just traipsed in and took one of your shirts out of your closet. I mean, that's rude. And it is. And I would, I would be very interested in seeing it corrected, right? But you, it's your shirt, you'd be so gracious. And imagine that you were watching something on your computer. It was some special little video that you were watching. And one of my kids came up when you went to the restroom and, and clicked it off or changed it. And you lost your spot on it. And I'm like, I am so sorry they did that. And you'd be like, oh, it's totally fine. Totally fine. Now, why are you so gracious in that situation, yet if it's your family members, it's completely different? We don't have a threshold for our family. Ever notice that? We expect perfection out of our family. If they do anything wrong, we're going to let them know it. And yet that is precisely where God wants to touch us and change us so that we have the same graciousness as you would have coming into my house for my kids doing this nonsense. Right? The same graciousness. Why would we not? All right, I'm going to read through this because it is just one of the greatest pictures in all of life to understand this way of living. And of course, it's just Jesus in Philippians 2. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, 
taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love that scripture. That is so beautiful. So I'm going to give you an exhortation. If you're single or if you're married, it makes no difference. You know that we, at every juncture of life, have the opportunity to shift our patterns. So whenever you get that gentle conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, this, this pattern stinks, sometimes we see it clearly. It's like, okay, yeah, that really needs to go. That's a terrible behavior pattern. But the good thing is God is a redemptive God. So he doesn't bring condemnation. He brings conviction, which always has hope associated with it. He's not telling us that, you know, this is a bad thing in our life just so he can rub it in, rub our nose in it. He's doing it so that he can give us grace so that we can change it. So I should have called this like the fatherly exhortation because this is Leslie's father that looks at me. Remember, you have to realize I had made a lot of mistakes in in this arena of relationships and in sexuality. I did not set a good mold when I was young, but then somewhere right around 22, God's like totally transforming all of this. And, well, actually it was a little before that, but uh, this is when the quote came in, is around uh, 22 years of age. And I'm dealing with the fact that, God, is there any hope for me? Do I have, I mean, because I feel like damaged goods. I feel like the way I did things before was so wrong. I mean, I've already shared with you little miniature pieces, like the way I spoke to my family, the way I treated my mom. It's like, is there any hope? Don't you feel bad for the girl that would marry Eric Ludy? It's like, oh boy, that sounds miserable. Yeah, yeah, I don't even like thinking about that. But this is what I needed. This is the elixir that was given to my soul from Leslie's uh, dad. Eric, you have the opportunity to do this 100% correct starting now. I mean, just trying to chew on that. You see, I don't have the ability in Eric to do it correct. But I have the opportunity to do it correct. How do I have the opportunity? In Christ. I have the opportunity to actually set new patterns and to respond differently. Will I do it perfect? Probably not. But I have the opportunity to. I have the opportunity to do this right. I remember the moment I heard that statement, it gave me like wind in my sail. And I began to set out with a new strength to live differently. It's like, I'm going to do this aggressively because I have what I need in Christ Jesus to do it. Sometimes you just need hope. Sometimes you just need a vision. You have the opportunity to do this 100% correct starting now. As opposed to just thinking, oh, I'm just going to repeat past failures. Yep, that's just me. Well, who's telling you that? See, this is the sort of thing that really is important for us to recognize is that the way of God is perfect. God desires to lead us in a new pattern. So I don't know what you've done back here, but let's press on to something greater. Let's allow the Spirit of God to give us grace to do this right. Father, I just ask that you would inspire each of us, not just in our sexuality, but in every dimension of our life.
Lord, that we would be able to look and say, oh, Lord Jesus, train me, move me, give me the grace to actually take steps forward. You're a redemptive God, and we cherish that fact. Lord, we desire to have this mind in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. We want to put on those glasses and look at life through that selfless lens and say, Lord Jesus, may we live as you would have us live today. We trust you and love you. It's in the precious name we pray. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.